The following audio is from City Rev Church. For more information about City Rev Church, visit us online at cityrev.org. You can join us live Saturday nights at 6 p.m., Sunday mornings at 9, 10.30, or 12, or you can join us online at cityrev.org. Well, it's interesting to think about, I don't know if you do this from time to time, it's interesting to think about some childhood memories, and if you could try and dial your brain back to the earliest memory you can remember. And so maybe if you think really hard, you have memories of maybe being three years old in a particular place, a location with someone important in your life, maybe a parent, maybe you have an early memory with a pet. And so we have these distant memories, and if I go back in my own life and I think about my childhood, I can think of some of those early memories, and one of the memories that comes out to mind is actually a little bit later, but it's very consequential in my life, and I'll explain why. But I remember the first uh, day of school, it was elementary school, and leading up to that first day of school, I remember telling my parents, Mom, Dad, I have got to get these new shoes for the first day of school. I mean, I've got to get these shoes. And the reason I need to get these shoes is we wear uniforms at my school. You know, remember when you had to wear a uniform and like you go physically in person to a school? Remember? So we were doing that and I, all I can wear are the shoes that I pick. Everything else, the school tells me what to wear. So I got to get these cool shoes. And plus, here's the real reason. Mom and dad, there's these two cool kids that I want to be friends with them and they have cool shoes. And so please, can I get these White and blue Allen Iverson Reeboks, okay? And I wanted these so badly. I just wanted these shoes. I remember playing a a video game at the time where Allen Iverson was one of the stars. And so I wanted these. And sure enough, my parents, they got me these shoes. I was so excited for the first day of school to be wearing my shoes. And my goal that day, my singular goal was so that Andreas and Lewis, these two kids that they might notice what shoes I'm wearing. That's all I wanted. That's all I desired. So I showed up to school and I walked down the hallway and I'm looking for these two kids. I'm looking, I'm scanning the hallways of my elementary school and I see my friend or soon to be friend, hopefully Andreas, and I kind of walk a little bit with a strut to draw attention to my feet, you know, trying to get him to vision and he says nothing. He doesn't see it. Then another time, I see him in the hallway again, and I'm drawing attention, trying to be a little bit more momentous with my body, just so he can look down at my feet, he sees nothing. And so eventually, I just give up and say, hey, Andreas, check out my shoes, man. And he looks down at my feet, and he looks to me, and he says, hey, cool shoes, JC. And then he carries on with the rest of his life. But actually, the rest of that school year, whenever I wore those white and blue Allen Iverson shoes, I would walk by him, and he's this great kid. Uh, We ended up becoming somewhat friends. And I'd walk by him, and he'd say, hey, cool shoes, JC. And I lived for that. Now, here's why that memory, I think, is consequential and why it sticks out. That's the first time that I can remember consciously comparing myself to someone else And wanting to change something, wanting to do something so that someone else would notice. It's one of the very first memories I have where that deeply affected me. I deeply wanted to be noticed and I compared myself. Now, as we grow up and become older, you know, this idea of comparison 
This just has different forms. Maybe you have your own memory of the first time you compared yourself to someone in some way or wanted to be noticed in some way. But now as adults, if you're an adult, you, you've experienced comparison, different forms. Maybe not now, maybe it's now it's not your shoes. Perhaps now it's things like career. Maybe you go to a high school reunion or you've been to a high school reunion and the posturing that takes place where you ask, well, what do you do and what do you do? And that becomes the thing that we compare ourselves to. Maybe it's not our career. Maybe it's just like our, our car or house. You pull up next to someone you knew and you just haven't seen them in a while. You see the car they're driving at the red light next to you and you're like, is that a rental or is that like every day? Like that's just what, like that's what you drive every day and then all of a sudden you start to feel a little insecure. For, for us, it might not be cars or it might not be houses. Maybe for you it's something different. Maybe for you it's your appearance. Your appearance, you see someone you haven't seen in a while and maybe life has gotten to you a little bit. You haven't gotten quarantoned. You've been a little bloated lately or maybe you're not feeling so well. You got some health issues and you see that person that you know you're their age and you look at them and you're like, oh my goodness. And you compare. Maybe for you it's not appearance. Perhaps for you it's a relationship. And you see one by one your friends and your peers find joy and happiness in a relationship. Many of them getting married and you look at your life and you think to yourself, well, why don't I have what they have? You start to compare your experience and how others have treated you and how you've never found a person who treats you in the way that your friends seem to have found people in that way. And you compare. All this comparison that we experience in our life all of these forms of comparison, in every situation, I want you to hear me, it's a lose-lose situation. And here's why it's a lose-lose situation. When you compare yourself to someone else, and let's say you pull up on the, at the red light and you see that person you knew from a few years ago and you see them and your car is nicer than their car. Play out that scenario. Now what just happened as you compare yourself to that person? Well, you just inflated your ego became full of pride. You feel a little superior. You tap yourself on the back and you say, hey, good job, self. So if you compare yourself to someone else who in some area is at a lower place according to your perception, now all of a sudden you're puffed up and you're self-centered and full of pride, feeling superior to them. But if the opposite takes place, you pull up and they're in a Beamer and you're chilling in your Honda Odyssey and you're, nothing wrong with Honda, I, I, love, I would love a Honda Odyssey, nothing wrong with Honda, but you pull up and you see what they're rolling in and you just think to yourself, man, now what's taking place? Comparison has now brought you to this place where your insecurities are being exposed. Your insecurities are being stoked. So in comparison, it's a lose-lose situation. If you compare yourself and they're not as far along, it inflates your pride. If you compare yourself and you're far short, now all of a sudden you're insecure, you're questioning everything, and you feel defeated. And so we all experience comparison. We all have walked through this. This is not something we grow out of as adults. But the question I want to raise for you today and for what I want you to think about is how is it that we can deal with comparison? How can we find freedom from comparison? Is there a way out? Is there a different way that we can approach this idea of comparison? And that's what's going to bring us to John chapter 21. 
Because in this moment in the life of Jesus, Jesus has this conversation with someone named Peter, one of his closest friends. And Jesus is gonna show us the way to find freedom from comparison. And so we're gonna look here in a moment at John 21, starting in verse 15. Before we do, let me set the stage for where we're at in the story of Jesus. So Jesus at this time in John 21 has lived among mankind for 30 some years. And Jesus did ministry publicly there in Jerusalem and Judea in these areas surrounding Jerusalem. And Jesus heals people and helps people and he teaches people. And all of this culminates in this moment where Jesus is preparing for his death. He knows he's on his way to be crucified. And on his way to be crucified, the days leading up to it, he pulls aside one of his close friends, Peter, one of his disciples. And he lets Peter know. He says, hey, Peter, truly, truly, before all of this takes place, listen, Peter, you're going to deny me three times. Hey, Peter, you're going to have the opportunity to acknowledge and stand up that you're with me and you're one of my followers and three times in a row you're going to deny me. Peter's like, no, not me. I would never do that. I'm ready to fight to death for you, Jesus. And sure enough, as time goes on, three times in a row, Peter denies Jesus. I don't know him. There's this mounting pressure as Jesus is being imprisoned, as Jesus is being accused and beaten and whipped and being tried. Peter is confronted on three occasions. Hey, do you know Jesus? You know, the one that we're getting ready to crucify because we call him a blasphemer. Do you know Jesus? And Peter's like, no, I don't know the man. I don't know who he is. And three times Peter denies Jesus. In the moment when Jesus could have used a friend the most, in the moment when Jesus could have used Peter to actually fulfill what he said, I'll do anything for you, Jesus, and Peter folded. Jesus would go on to be crucified, and he would die on the cross for the sins of the world, taking on the judgment that all of our sins deserve, and in his death, Jesus giving his life so that we could find eternal life. And Peter hears the news, his Savior, his follow, the one he's followed, he's died. And Jesus is buried in a tomb. On Friday night, he's buried. And on Sunday morning, these women get to the tomb and they notice the stone has been rolled away. There's no body in the tomb. Angels appear and announce to them, Jesus is not here, he's risen. And what ends up taking place, we read in the Gospel of John, is Jesus starts appearing to his disciples. And so they know he was dead, and three days later, they're experiencing Jesus face to face. Now, this is not like a hallucination type situation. No, he like eats a meal with them. He, he's not having some like spiritual vision. No, no, no. Jesus is physically, bodily resurrected from the dead, like nails through his hands, heart stopped beating, died on a cross, buried in a tomb, and three days later, alive. And Jesus starts appearing to his disciples and Jesus is gonna have this encounter with Peter. And you gotta have the background story of what happened in Peter's life. He, he had just denied Jesus three times in a row. And here Jesus is risen, resurrected, and he goes and has this conversation with Peter. Look with me, John chapter 21, starting in verse 15. It says this, when they had finished breakfast, that's Jesus and some of his disciples, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? 
He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And Peter said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Let's pause there for a moment. So Jesus, after having this little breakfast, after they had had a night of fishing that failed, Jesus helped out with that situation. You can check it out earlier in John 21. But he pulls Peter to this aside and they have this conversation, probably in earshot of the other disciples. But Jesus has this moment with Peter because it's kind of like one of those situations where you see a, a friend or you see someone that the last time you really had an encounter with them, like they did something that wasn't necessarily right, but you're hanging out and you're kind of all is well, but there's some confrontation, healthy confrontation and reconciliation that needs to happen. Jesus basically starts and initiates the subject. And he asked Peter the same question three times. He says, hey, Peter, do you love me? Why ask him the same question three times? He wanted to give Peter three opportunities for each denial to say, yes, Jesus, I love you. And Peter, in this moment, with a whole lot of humility, he says, Jesus, you know everything. Jesus, you know all things. You know I love you. And here, Jesus asks him the question, do you love me more than these? Now, who are the more than these? He's probably referring to the disciples sitting around that charcoal fire where they had breakfast. He says to Peter, hey, do you love me more than these men love me, Peter? Now, well, that's an interesting question to ask Peter is that Peter was like the most competitive disciple. Peter was the guy who always spoke up, who always thought he knew the answer and who often got it wrong. And so Jesus asking Peter, hey, do you love me more than these other disciples love me? It's, it's almost comical. And Peter doesn't necessarily say, yes, I love you more than, than Thomas. And I love you more than Bartholomew. No, he, he doesn't say that. He just says, Lord, you know. You know I love you. And Jesus three times gives Peter this command. He gives him an imperative. He says, feed my sheep. He says, tend my lambs. He says, feed my flock feed my sheep. He repeats this over and over again. Three times he gives them this instruction. It's essentially to say, I want you to take care of my sheep, Peter. Now, what does he mean by this? Well, in John chapter 10, we actually talked about this a few weeks ago. Jesus taught that he is the good shepherd. And he revealed that he is the shepherd who has come down to take care of his sheep, his people. And like a shepherd lays his life down for his sheep and provides for his sheep and directs and protects his sheep, Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd. And now in this moment, as Jesus is getting ready to ascend to his father in heaven, he gives this authority and this calling to Peter. He says, Peter, I have sheep. They're my sheep. And I'm calling you, Peter, to care for them. Think about how amazing this is for a moment. This is the guy who had just denied Jesus three times. And on three occasions, Peter, given the opportunity to say, yes, Lord, I love you, Jesus says, I know you do, feed my sheep. I know you do, feed my lambs. Tend my sheep, Peter. I'm entrusting you with my sheep. I'm giving you this purpose, Peter. And Peter would go on and be a key leader in the early church, making the message of Jesus known and caring for Jesus' sheep. And so he restores Peter 
to this beautiful relationship is this incredible moment of restoration for Peter. But watch how it continues. Verse 18, things take an interesting turn. Jesus continues and he says to Peter, Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, Peter, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted, but when you're old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This, he said, to show us by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, Jesus said to Peter, follow me. So after Jesus restores Peter, he gives him his calling to be a shepherd, to care for Jesus' sheep. He says, Peter, I trust you. I'm giving you this new calling in your life. And right after that, Jesus gives him another detail about Peter's life. He says, Peter, truly, truly. In Greek, it's the word amen. Amen, amen. And the last time Jesus started a sentence with amen, amen to Peter, with truly, truly to Peter, you go find it. It's in John chapter 13. It's when Jesus said to Peter, truly, truly, I say to you, you're going to deny me three times, Peter. So Jesus says, amen, amen, truly, truly, Peter. I'm going to make another prediction about your life. Last time I told you, you would deny me three times. This time I'm telling you how you're going to lose your life. And, and Jesus tells Peter, you're going to have your hands stretched out, which is a way in that time period to describe crucifixion. John, the author, gives us that parenthetical phrase where he says, this is to describe by what kind of death Peter would die. And Jesus says to him, after he says, hey, by the way, you're going to die, you're going to be crucified, you're going to suffer for following me in the process of tending my sheep and loving my sheep. You're gonna give your life, follow me, Peter. Now hearing this incredible transaction, if you think about Peter's story arc and how this is unfolding, at the time that the Gospel of John is being written, Peter is one of the leaders, uh, in fact, Peter has probably been killed at this point. Peter has probably died by the time the Gospel of John is written. But one of the cool things about the Gospels that helps us be convinced of its authenticity and historicity is that the leaders of the early church in the Gospels are often shown to be very flawed individuals who make mistakes. They're not hero stories of how amazing Peter is and how amazing John is and how perfect these, this guy is. No, the leaders of the early church who were a part of the documentation of the life of Jesus, they didn't edit in and make sure, hey, make sure I look good here, cover that part up where I didn't know what I was doing. No, no, you see them in all of their flaws and here, right here in John chapter 21, the perfect story arc for Peter in this moment would be, if this was all made up, would be, and Peter said, yes, Lord, no matter what, this time I mean it, I will die for you and I mean it this time. But Peter, once again, is gonna prove to have one more blunder left in him because he's real because he's like us, because he's flawed. And here, look at what Peter says in response after Jesus says, hey, this is what's gonna happen to you. I want you to follow me still. Look what it says next in verse 20. Verse 20. It says, Peter turned and he saw the disciple whom Jesus loved. Now that's John's way of describing himself. Another conversation for another time. How would you like that? If you get to write the Bible, if you get to write a book in the Bible, you get to call yourself that, I guess. The Holy Spirit inspired John to call himself the disciple that Jesus loved. Okay, anyways, Peter turned and he saw John, 
And he, the one who had been reclining at table close to him and had said, Lord, who is it that's going to betray you? And when Peter saw John, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? I know what you said about my life and how my life's going to end, but what about John's life? And Jesus says to him, this is so beautiful. This is so perfect. This is tough love from Jesus. He says, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you, Peter? You follow me. I love this exchange that Jesus has with Peter. Peter hears that his life is going to end with his crucifixion. And the last time Jesus made a prediction saying, amen, amen, this is going to happen, it happened. And Peter, maybe his heart racing, having experienced that, reality setting in of what he's going to experience and endure for following after Jesus he turns and he sees. I want you to, if you have your Bible, circle that, those two verbs. He's turned and he saw. He's talking to Jesus, but then he turns and he sees someone else. And he asks the question, well, what about him? What, what's going to happen in his life? And Jesus, I can just envision Jesus maybe taking his right hand and putting it on Peter's shoulder. And just with a kind of nice firm grip saying, hey, Peter, so, so what? So, so what if John stays alive until I return to inaugurate my kingdom? So, so what if that's my plan for John? You, Peter, follow me. What's it to you, Peter? What I'm doing in John's life, I'm, I'm talking to you about what I'm doing in your life, Peter. Why are you turning and looking at what's happening in his life, Peter? Uh, you, Follow me. It's this moment when Jesus is restoring Peter to his purpose and Peter is distracted because he wants to know what's going to happen in John's lane. Jesus is, is showing, hey, here's your lane. Here's what I'm calling you to. I'm entrusting you with my sheep. You're going to suffer for me. And Peter's like, well, what about him? I think, I think that maybe, just maybe, you can relate to one of those moments when you might be in your lane and you're going through your life and then you look around you at what's happening in someone else's life and you say, well, what about them? Why is it that they're getting to experience that? Why is it that I haven't had that in my life? Why am I dealing with these health issues? Why is it that they've got the job that I've dreamed of when I've been working at this company longer? Why is it? And we can fixate ourselves on the other and compare ourselves to the other. And Jesus has a word for you. It's a strong word. It's tough love. He says to you, what's it to you? You follow me. You don't follow John. You don't follow Sally in sales. You don't follow Bob, your neighbor. You don't follow that person you went to high school with. You don't follow that person on social media that everything in their life looks perfectly knit together and perfectly filtered and unblemished. You follow Jesus. So here's what I want you to write down to kind of uh, reiterate and sum up what we're looking at in this passage. Write this phrase down. It's This, this is what it's teaching us is that What's it to you? That phrase, what's it to you, is an invitation from God to a life of purpose and freedom. 
What's it to you? When comparison seems to be creeping in, what's it to you calls out. God says, what's it to you to invite you into freedom and purpose? Let's break these down. Let's talk a little bit about purpose for a moment. Jesus gives Peter an incredible purpose. He says, Peter, you're going to care for my sheep, the sheep I laid my life down for. I gave everything for my sheep. And Peter, I'm giving you the responsibility and the stewardship of caring for my sheep. That is a high calling. And Jesus gives him this purpose, but Peter is distracted from his purpose when he compares himself to John and he asks, well, what about him? You know, comparison by its very nature is a distracting phenomena. Comparison consumes us. It takes our eyes off of our purpose. So uh, if you're watching our service live, you got to experience uh, Pastor Josh and Jamie getting to lead us in worship. And man, those dudes can sing. I I mean, hopefully it translated through on your screen, your audio, but being in here, hearing those and hearing them play the guitar, their harmonies, I mean, their singing is incredible. And look, I'm right now, I'm here, and it's my job to take this scripture and communicate that to you. But if I'm honest, if I start thinking about Jamie and Josh a little bit, I'm a little embarrassed because they have more musical talent in their right pinky toenail than I've got in my entire body. And it's tempting for me to compare myself and think, man, I'll never be able to sing like Pastor Josh. I mean, I'll never be able to have the kind of guitar skills that Jamie had. I'd never be able to have, like, I can compare myself to them, be consumed with them, and I'd be distracted from the task that God has called me to. That's the nature of comparison. It distracts us from our purpose. We get so consumed looking around, looking uh, to the side, to the left and the right, that we miss what God's doing right in front of us. See, the nature of comparison, it tries to keep us from pursuing the purpose that God has for us. And so, you know this to be true in your life. You've experienced this in your life. And so I want you to look really closely at the phrase that Jesus used. He says, what's it to you? There's an implication in that verse. Jesus doesn't say to Peter, listen, it doesn't matter what John is going to do in his life. Jesus doesn't say it doesn't matter what happens in John. He says, what's it to you, Peter? Implied in that assertion by Jesus, in that response by Jesus, is that there is someone who it's up to. There is someone who it's their job to worry about what happens in John's life. But listen, Peter, it's not yours. That's not your lane. That's not your job. Jesus is saying, it's my job to oversee what happens in John's life. What's it to you, Peter? That's on me. That's my responsibility. I'm authoring John's story, and I'm authoring your story, Peter. He says this to him, and he's saying, that's my decision. And so, What's it to you is this invitation where God says, hey, listen, I have a purpose for you. Don't be distracted and caught off guard by the things happening around you when I've called you to trust me, when I've called you to follow me. See, what's it to you is also an invitation into freedom. Let's talk a little bit about freedom because here's the thing about comparison mode. When we're in comparison mode, scanning around, maybe we're scrolling through our social media, see what's happening in a a family member's life. And when you're in comparison mode, 
Man, all of a sudden, that can just put you in these chains where you feel trapped. See, comparison mode oftentimes is a diagnostic for our souls to see the idols we're actually worshiping. You see, if for you, the thing you're most prone to compare yourself to, maybe for you, it's the way that your children are living. I think as a parent, one of the biggest temptations is to start comparing how your children behave, how your children succeed or don't succeed, how you see your friends and your peers and their children and what kind of grades they're getting and what kind of athletic accolades they're getting. And there's this temptation when it comes to our peers to start comparing our children to them. And what's that exposing in our minds and in our hearts? We've somehow come to this place where we think, well, if my child is the best, or if my child is better than at least that person's child, well, then I'll feel good about myself. When in reality, that type of soul satisfaction, well, then I'll be happy. Then I'll feel satisfied. Then all will be well. That's another way of describing what you're worshiping. Maybe for you, it's not the the child in your life. Maybe for you, it's just thinking, listen, if I can just have that marriage, if I can have the perfect marriage, like, well, I see my friends, they've got a great marriage, and I'm here, and maybe you're in a difficult and broken marriage, and you feel this comparison creeping in, or maybe you're not married and deeply desire to be married, and that's a God-honoring desire, but when you compare yourself to others, Something that might be placed in you by God, a good thing to desire that kind of relationship, a good thing that you can trust God through. When that becomes a God, now all of a sudden you start to look around and you feel worse about yourself based on whether or not you're comparing yourself to someone who has that relationship that you don't. You see, oftentimes comparison, it's exposing, it's showing us we're putting too much weight here. I'm thinking that if I have the nicer car, the better house, the the, the better job, the promotion, if I just have that, then I'll feel good. In comparison, it's exposing for us. We have become enslaved to the master. We become enslaved to that comparison master and it shackles us. And Jesus wants to say to you, what's it to you? So what's it to you? So they've got the job that you want and they got the promotion, but what's it to you? Let's play this thing out. I love how Jesus does this. In responding to Peter, Jesus plays out the cards. He says, okay, Peter, you want to know about John? Well, let's play this out. Suppose with me that it's my will that John doesn't experience crucifixion like you. In fact, suppose it's my will that John just continues living until I come back and return from heaven. Suppose, let's play out the cards. What if that's my will? What's it to you? In other words, Jesus plays out the scenario in the most dramatic form. What's it to you? Maybe, maybe that person you grew up and went to high school, maybe they become the, the next president of your company. They become your boss. Maybe that person that you... See, driving back, maybe they get a Lamborghini one day. The Mercedes is like nothing. What's it to, let's play this out. Do you think, Jesus would say, do you think that even if you had that job, if you were the president of your company, if you had that car, let's play this out. Do you think then you'll be satisfied? Or will you continue to find someone else to compare yourself to? Will there only be this endless treadmill of a search 
to try and satisfy this longing in your soul, Peter, that you know deep down inside there is nothing but me that can satisfy. Jesus says, what's it to you? See, it's this invitation to freedom because there's freedom. There's freedom in realizing Listen, I, I have no control over what's happening in John's life, in Susie's life. I have no, no control over any of that. What I can do is follow Jesus today. Jesus says, hey, Peter, you follow me. Jesus says to you, you follow me. What's it to you? What's it to you? You follow me. There's freedom in the fact that God can author a better story than you can. His story he's writing for your life, it's a better story than what you would come up with for yourself. He knows what's best for you. He made you. He loves you. He's designed a purpose for your life. He wants you to trust him. Psalm 139, this powerful passage, I love what this teaches. Psalm 139, verse 16. Here's what this says. It says, your eyes, speaking of God, God, your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there were none of them. Psalm 139 envisions a child, a baby in his mother's womb. And there with value and dignity in the sight of God, this baby has days that God has planned out for them. This is true of your life. God has formed days for your life that he intends for you to walk in. Could you find some freedom today in realizing that the master, the true artist has painted this grand canvas and it's unfolding in your life. And so comparing yourself to someone else, distracting yourself from that purpose, you might miss out on the beauty that's right in front of you. The purpose that God has for you, the freedom he wants you to walk in them. There were days formed for me when as yet there were none. They're written in his book. Your story's been written. So then what do we do when we feel comparison? How do we handle it? What do we do? Because I, I, I have this constant temptation. I have this constant ache to be tempted. I want to give you two ways to tackle this. The first is an outside-in approach. Write that down, an outside-in approach. I want to give you an outside-in approach to comparison. Here's what that looks like. It means you need a filter in your life. You develop the mental discipline in your life that you catch yourself. When you're comparing yourself to someone else, I literally would like for you to say to yourself, what's it to you? That when you look over there and you see someone, I see someone, I say, what's it to you, Justin? I literally, out loud, like if somebody asks, uh, are you talking to me? Like, just, no, no, I'm just talking to myself. Don't worry about it. Just quoting Jesus, whatever. Like, what's it to you? I literally watch you. When you feel that pull to compare, just say to yourself, wait, what's it to you? And let that be a reminder who's authoring your story. Let that be a reminder that God has a lane for you to run in that's your lane, that he's designed, that he's paved, and he wants you to walk in it. And so I want you to literally have that outside-in approach. Another way that you can have this outside-in approach to dealing with comparison is to identify the areas or the things in your life that pour gas on the flame of comparison in your life. What are those things that cause comparison to flare up? I can probably think of a number of them. The most glaring, obvious one is social media. So here's what I'd say about social media. 
Be on social media. If that's what you like to do, connect with people that way. Use your influence on social media. By all means, be a light on social media. Share your pictures of your cute grandchildren. Do that, all that stuff. But here, here's what I would say. If there are people that you're following on social media that make it harder for you to follow Jesus, then it might be time to unfollow them. If there are people you're following on social, on Instagram, on Facebook, on, if you're following on TikTok, and what happens when you see their feet is like, man, why isn't my life like that? Well, that's, this is just depressing. Or following them makes you think, wow, I am so much better than them. Both are toxic to your soul. And so maybe, just maybe, for the sake of clarity and following Jesus and seeing him clear, maybe, just maybe, you need to unfollow some people. Now, all those things, those are outside-in type approaches. And those are helpful, but here's the thing. The nature of following Jesus, he doesn't just want to deal with our outward behavior. He doesn't just want us to, like, eliminate all sources of temptation in our life and walk in some bubble The reality is we have a broken world. The temptation, the comparison will come again and again. No matter how many times you try and remove those problem areas, the temptation will still come. So you need an inside-out approach. And this is the heart of the matter. See, Jesus didn't just come to bring about a revolution in behavior. Jesus did not come to try and modify the way people have their lifestyle. Jesus came to give people new hearts to fundamentally reorient the values and priorities of our hearts. So an inside-out approach oftentimes looks like honest praying, like real praying. Not the kind of praying that's like, God, thank you for this day. Help me tomorrow. God, bless this person. Heal this person. Amen. But like honest praying, like praying like this. God, today I was, I was at a restaurant. I saw that person and I compared myself to them. And I saw all that they have and I thought about what I'm experiencing right now. It made me feel terrible. God, help me. Honest praying where you're real with your father. Or God, today I I saw that person and honestly, I looked down on them. Their life is not together. And in that moment, I kind of felt good about myself and not in the right way. A pride swelled up in my heart, made me think I'm superior to them. God, please, would you just remove that from my heart? Honest praying. Not just honest praying, but in addition to that, sin confessing. There's something powerful that comes that when we're honest with God in prayer of where we fall short, to then go to someone we trust, go to a close friend, go to a mentor, go to your spouse and say, hey, I just got to share this with someone. Today, this was just consuming me. I felt bad about what I've got going on because I was so consumed with this. But confessing that, what that does, unearthing that and exposing it, there's freedom, there's power in that. So we have praying and confessing. And in addition to that, there's meditating on Scripture. It's taking the words of Jesus, the promises of God, taking the truth of God. God, you formed days for me. Jesus, you said, you follow me. I don't want to follow that person. My life's going to be different than them. They've got different struggles. They might be comparing themselves to me and feeling bad about. So what am I doing? What's to me, Jesus? 
meditating on scripture, filling our mind with God's truth. We need that. And ultimately, heart that rests in Jesus and that hears that simple call from Jesus, follow me. That heart has a whole new approach where we can get to the place where when someone in our lives gets a step ahead, when someone in our life has something truly incredible happen in them, maybe when someone we don't like, someone that has wronged us, that with a reoriented heart, a new heart that Jesus wants to bring, God wants to bring us to a place where we can even celebrate and rejoice with that person. Here's what I would say. There's one more detail in this story I don't want you to miss. It's almost so obvious it's easy to miss. But right here in this story, Jesus says to Peter, tend my sheep, feed my sheep, take care of my sheep. Peter, I know you love me. And then Jesus says, hey, by the way, your arms are gonna be stretched out. You're gonna be crucified. You're gonna die in this way, but I want you to follow me, Peter. And then Peter looks off. He turns and he sees John and he says, what about him? He compares himself and Peter says, hey, what's it to you? I'm doing something in your life and in John's life. What's it to you? You follow me. And it's almost so obvious you can miss it, but think about who it is that stands before Peter and says, you follow me. Who is the one who's standing in front of Peter and just said, hey, Peter, you're going to be crucified. But I want you to still follow me. It's the one who was crucified and who three days later rose up from death and is standing victorious with the scars from those nails still in his hands, the signs of his triumph and his victory. Jesus stands before Peter and he says, I want you to follow me, the risen one. Something has happened, Peter, since the first time I told you to follow me. You didn't know what to expect. You didn't know what your lane would look like. But Peter, I am here, alive and well, ascending to my Father. I've conquered death, and I'm called you, Peter, to follow me, even if it means losing your life. You know what will eke out comparison in your life? You know what will squeeze that out? being so captivated by the one who calls you to follow him that everything else give him the cars give him the houses the vacations the followers on Instagram give them whatever thing you're compared give them the relationships whatever it is I've got you Jesus and I'm following you today Jesus invites you to follow him let me pray Father in heaven, I pray right now for those who are listening that right now in this moment, you would bring freedom, that you would bring salvation. In fact, some of you who are listening right now, you've never trusted in Jesus. You've never made the decision to follow Jesus. That right now in this moment, I wanna invite you to respond to Jesus' call to follow him and receive his grace and forgiveness today. He died for you and he rose for you and he calls you to follow him. And if that's you, you can in a moment of prayer go to God and say, God, today I trust you. God, today I put my hope in you. Jesus set me free. Thank you for dying for me on the cross, for rising up from death. Now I give you my life. Jesus, we love you. We thank you for your love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more resources and to check out other teaching series, please visit our website at cityrev.org. 
If you would like to speak to somebody about beginning a relationship with Jesus or ask any questions you have about this teaching, you can email us at podcast at cityrev.org.